Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 9th edition of WorkCom Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz of Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A new WCAB decision says that only an aggrieved party can disqualify a PQME for violating the rules against ex party communications. Here's what happened in the panel decision of Darlene Burke versus Bloomingdale's and Macy's Corporate Services. Dr. Ira Monison, a panel QME, called the defense counsel's legal assistant and demanded that his deposition fee be paid two weeks prior to his upcoming deposition. He told her that he had problems with cashing checks and various carriers stopping payment. On cross-examination of the legal assistant, she stated that the call was forwarded to her directly from the receptionist who did not identify the caller. The legal assistant said that although she had been told by her supervising attorney not to speak to panel QMEs, she did not tell the Dr. Monison that she could not speak to him. A trial set on the sole issue of the QME panel was set at defendant's request. The work comp judge found that Dr. Monison was disqualified as the panel QME and that Dr. Monison's reports are inadmissible evidence. The work comp judge ordered that a replacement or second QME panel in the specialty of internal medicine be provided. However, Dr. Monison's medical opinion benefited applicants' claim, and it was the opposing party who engaged in ex-party communications with the QME. Applicant therefore petitioned for reconsideration contending that Labor Code Section 4062.3F identifies applicant as the aggrieved party who may elect to terminate the medical evaluation or proceed with the initial evaluation. The WCAB panel agreed and granted removal of the case and rescinded the work comp judge's decision. Labor Code Section 4062.3F and Rule 35K are expressly for the protection of the aggrieved party. In this case, the applicant is the aggrieved party, but it has elected not to proceed with a new PQME. The WCAB also noted that this interpretation is not inconsistent with the 2010 Court of Appeal case of Alvarez versus WCAB, since it was the aggrieved applicant in Alvarez who requested the new QME. And now our fraud report. The State Compensation Insurance Fund filed a racketeering case against several doctors and 15 facilities. A 35-page complaint filed in federal court alleges that two doctors and their patient mills built the state fund for millions of dollars by submitting bogus workers' compensation claims. The complaint alleges that doctors Sana Ula Khan of Orange County and Alexander Zacks of Los Angeles are the masterminds of the scheme. Also named as defendants are David, David M. Holmes, a Fresno chiropractor who recently forwarded, forfeited his license, and Daniel A. Reyes, a Tulare chiropractor. The suit also implicates more than 15 surgery centers, clinics, imaging centers and other offices, and Valley Interpreting Services. The complaint alleges the defendants billed for services that were not delivered or were medically unnecessary, 
submitted inflated bills and demanded payment from the state fund for liens that the defendants did not own. The California Department of Insurance investigated Accident Helpline Medical Group clinics by sending undercover workers' comp patients who complained of little or no pain or discomfort. The undercover investigation was named Operation Chicken and undercover agents posed as Foster Farms workers' compensation patients. The fund also sued Albert, also sued Bruce McIntyre Roth, a former state fund attorney who allegedly helped Zach's clinics obtain a fraudulent settlement while Roth still worked for the state fund. Roth was assigned to investigate Zach's medical clinics in Los Angeles County in 2005 and uncovered evidence of fraud, including a state fund payout of almost $2.4 million for non-existent translation services, according to the complaint. The suit alleges that he negotiated a settlement detrimental to the fund. The lawsuit says that Roth helped defraud the fund and executed a settlement because of the prospect of landing a job representing Zacks and Kahn. In early 2010, while Roth still worked for the state fund, he was hired as legal counsel for Global Holdings, of which Kahn is chief medical officer, according to allegations of the complaint. The British drug maker GlaxoSmithKline agreed to plead guilty to criminal charges and pay $3 billion in fines for promoting its best-selling antidepressants for unapproved uses, failing to report safety data about its top diabetes drug, and improperly marketing several other drugs. Prosecutors said the company paid doctors to attend conferences and other meetings to promote uses for the drugs that were not approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and they bestowed lavish gifts in the hopes of whining and winning them over. The company illegally promoted the use of Paxil in children, even though a warning was later added to the drug that Paxil, like other antidepressants, might increase the risk of suicidal thoughts among teenagers. Prosecutors said that the company had marketed Wellbutrin for conditions like weight loss and sexual dysfunction when it was approved only to treat major depressive disorder. The third charge involved a Vandia, whose use was severely restricted in 2010 after it was linked to heart risks. Prosecutors said the company failed to report data from studies detailing the safety risks to the FDA. This is believed to be the largest settlement involving a pharmaceutical company. In May, Abbott Laboratories settled for $1.6 billion over its marketing of the antipsychotic drug Depakote and an agreement with Johnson & Johnson that could result in a fine of as much as $2 billion is said to be imminent over its off-label promotion of another antipsychotic drug, Respiradol. No individuals have been charged in any of these cases, and critics argue that even large fines are not enough to deter drug companies from unlawful behavior. A Napa doctor who was indicted in April for filing false federal income tax returns has now also been charged with health care fraud. The new indictment against Dr. Ali Seji Vaziri includes nine counts of health care fraud 
and six counts of filing a false federal income tax. His attorney claims that this is a technical dispute, which physicians frequently have with the government based upon an interpretation of the health care coding system. He was referring to the CPT codes developed by the American Medical Association, which are used to bill and determine how much a doctor is reimbursed for the patient care. His attorney went on to say that Dr. Vaziri intends to vigorously dispute these allegations by presenting expert testimony and the government's own records at the appropriate time in the judicial proceedings. According to federal officials, Vaziri also allegedly overstated his business expenses on his 2005 and 2006 tax returns. He also allegedly overstated his tax deductions on his 2007 and 2008 corporate income tax returns, they said. The maximum penalty for each count of filing a false income tax return is three years in prison and a fine of $100,000. The maximum penalty for each count of health care fraud is 10 years in prison and a fine equal to two times the gross gain or loss. And in regulatory news, Christine Baker, director of the Department of Industrial Relations, approved the implementation of the Alternative Security Program, or ASP, this week, freeing over $6 billion in capital. This will provide self-insured California businesses greater financial flexibility. The ASP is a first-in-the-nation innovative program operated by the nonprofit California Self-Insurer Security Fund with the California Department of Industrial Relations. The program provides guarantees to replace security deposits required to collateralize self-insured workers' compensation liabilities. DIR Director Christine Baker said that self-insurance and the ASP are innovative ways that California can support businesses and help them reinvest capital back into growing their businesses. She also said that this program benefits both the businesses and the larger California economy in a meaningful and positive way. Traditionally, self-insured employers are required to maintain a deposit in the amount equal to 135% of estimated future liability. This deposit, which is cash, irrevocable letters of credit, securities, or surety bonds, limits the employer's ability to use the cash or credit line to expand their business. In contrast, ASP members can apply that cash or line of credit back into their business while the ASP assumes responsibility of the security deposits. One of every four California workers is protected by a self-insurance plan. Self-insured employers in California represent large and mid-sized private companies, industry groups, and public entities such as city, county, state, and school districts. The DWC has posted a new list of national drug codes used in bill review. The Department of Healthcare Services has informed the DWC that it has completed the update to the pharmaceutical price file that was necessitated by the unavailability of first data bank average wholesale price. The DWC has posted a spreadsheet on the pharmaceutical fee schedule webpage, which lists NDCs that were new or that had pricing changes that took effect during the period of September 1, 2011 through March 14, 2012. 
the weekly pharmaceutical fee schedule, data file, and price calculator on the DWC website now includes all of the updates. The DWC suggests that workers' compensation providers examine the NDC list and, if warranted, resubmit pharmaceutical bills that were affected by the unavailability of price updates and recommends that payers issue payments as appropriate. Kalosha fined a recycling company nearly $112,000. The seven citations were issued to Southern California-based Edco Waste and Recycling Services Incorporated, a collection and recycling company with a history of safety violations and worker injury. DIR Director Christine Baker said that Edco Waste and Recycling Services Incorporated failed to provide vital safety training, leading to dangerous accidents and serious injury. Cal OSHA Chief Ellen Wides said that Edco violated critical safety standards requiring that machinery be de-energized and equipment locked down to prevent movement during maintenance work. Edco was given prior orders to fix these serious hazards and failed to do so, which resulted in escalating the type of citation to the willful category. These new citations resulted from an accident and serious worker injury last December while workers were connecting a hydraulic cylinder to the packer device in a garbage truck. The hydraulic system was activated to extend the cylinder outward to be connected to the packer, which compacts the trash that has been dumped into the truck. The injured worker was standing on the packer unit inside the truck body when the cylinder struck it causing him to fall and sustain crushing injuries. Following the December accident, Kalosha successfully petitioned the appeals board to raise a citation category from serious accident related to willful. In 2003, Edco also received a serious citation for not having employees use lockable controls on a compactor and failing to have adequate written safety procedures. And in medical news, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, said that methadone use contributed to more than 30% of U.S. overdose deaths from prescription painkillers, even though the drug accounted for only 2% of the country's pain prescriptions. Methadone was developed in Germany in 1937 and has been used by U.S. doctors since the 1960s to treat drug addiction. Its use for chronic pain relief has been on the rise since the mid-1990s, largely due to its relatively low cost. The CDC report showed six times as many methadone-related deaths in 2009 compared with 1999. Methadone is now a leading killer in what the CDC has previously described as a prescription overdose epidemic. However, methadone use for heroin substitution treatment does not appear to be a major part of this problem. CDC officials called on physicians to be cautious in prescribing methadone for pain, noting that safer alternatives were available. Methadone carries more risks than other painkillers because it can build up in the body when taken more than three times a day and lead to dangerously slow breathing. CDC said that federal effort to warn healthcare providers about the risks had not led to a decrease in methadone prescriptions for pain. 
Methadone's relatively low price is believed to be one of the contributing factors to higher prescription rates for many hospitals and insurers. At less than a dollar per dose, an economic argument could be made for prescribing methadone over other alternatives. Although it may cost a couple of dollars less per pill, the result is may result in many more emergency room visits and a much higher cost in deaths and addiction and other problems that can be avoided. And with that, that's all our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for our news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.